Good morning, everyone. Probably the most important thing other than my notes. I see a few others out there that are using Kleenex as well. And uh, bear with me. Uh, I feel like I'm in, a, in an ocean here and the Titanic is sinking on this side and the Poseidon's going down on this side and all I hear is echo. So uh, bear with me. You know, thank you, David and Vicky, for the opening. That opening was a great expression of worship to the Lord. And there's no way that we're going to do justice to the word worship in a half an hour. We could do this for a month and we'd still just be touching the surface. And I hope that after we're done here, that you'll be able to go home and think about it a little bit more and maybe have a little bit deeper appreciation than some of the superfluous things that we're doing. And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. The singing that we're doing is exactly that. It is singing and it is worship to the Lord. The tithing that you do is worship to the Lord. He commands it. He asks it. You give it. You are worshiping Him. Looking after your brothers and sisters. Bearing with me as I stand up here with the echo in the back of my mind and trying to hear these things. That's a form of worship as well. But I'm hoping that there will be more to it as we continue. So the first slide that you see here says, what do you believe? And that's the series that we're in. We're now a third of the way through completing this study on belief, more specifically the concept of what you believe. The key focus over the first 10 sessions has been to come to a conclusion regarding the accuracy and the validity and the importance of a God and that God's influence and impact on your life whether there's been one, whether there should be one, whether you even believe in one. That's what it's all about. These sessions have been studied under the key word of think. That's what we did in the first ten sessions. What do you think about? What does God make you think? You ask yourself, what do I believe? What do I think? We're often told that what separates us from the remainder of organisms in earth is that we have the ability to reason. That's what makes us different. Over the past ten sessions, you've been asked to confront your beliefs and to confirm or deny the story that's been laid out before you regarding the Bible and God and through the teaching that you've heard here and in other places. Have you come to a reason why you should not believe what has been considered? Let's quickly review those ten considerations. There is a God, and that God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a personal God that is intimately concerned and involved in your daily existence. The only true way to come into a right relationship with Him is through His grace and by faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Believe also that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God, that nothing can be added or removed, and that it is your personal guide and foundation to your beliefs and actions. Because of your relationship with Him, you are considered a child of His, and as such, are considered significant in His eyes. You believe that He uses His church as the primary way to convey and accomplish His purposes on this earth. In the very same way that you are loved by God, you believe that all people are loved by God. 
and that it is his desire that all return to him as his children. Through his omnipotence and grace, he provides a singular way to do this. All must turn to his son Jesus Christ as their savior. In so doing, you have committed to him to spread the word to all who have not received it as of yet, that you will show love and compassion to all people, especially those in need. This comes from the belief that you have everything and everything that you have comes from God. It belongs to God and it is only yours on loan. As such, he may do with you as he pleases, for you too are his. And finally, you believe that there is a heaven and a hell, that God's Son, Jesus Christ, will come again so that all will be judged and his kingdom will be established. Through his grace, the substitution of his Son and the continuing presence of the Holy Spirit in your daily life, as you continue on this earth, you have been saved from the depths of hell and given salvation to stand with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, throughout eternity. You have come to saving grace through his Son, Jesus Christ. I believe last week you heard how Mark also came to that same conclusion, in a little bit different way perhaps, but came to that same conclusion. And I hope that we will all be able to say the same. So now you've thought about these things and the question becomes, what should you do? You've reasoned it out in your own mind. What is next? You're now at a transition point in this series as well as your life. And that's where we begin this morning. You see, up until now, the sessions were about you and the possibility of him, that there was a God, that he was important, that he was out there and does play a role in your life. What position does he take in your life? But things are different now, or at least they should be. What should you do? The answer is quite simple. If you're not in agreement with the summary that I just presented regarding the past 10 weeks or so, then there's nothing further that I can do for you. Simply leave your mind in neutral and go back to sleep. It'll soon be noon hour and you can go home to the other six days of the week. I would ask, however, that you don't disturb the others that are around you who maybe don't feel that way. There are a few things that they need to take care of, but it's important that they focus on today's message of worship. It's only going to be a cursory look, as I said before, but let's see what we can find out. While that may have seemed harsh for me to say that and disturbing for you to hear, it's a simple truth that if you accepted what, you have, what has been put forward to you over the past ten sessions, you could not, you should not, you would not sit there as if nothing had changed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are not the same. You cannot be the same. You must be changed. But it doesn't stop there. Continue on with those verses. You simply didn't change for change's sake. God has a purpose. He has given you a reason for this change. Why is that? Because he loves all people with the same level of love that he loves you. Because he worships you with a love that cannot be measured. Read verses 5.20 to 6.2 of that same book, Second Corinthians. It says, Now then, 
We are ambassadors for Christ. As though Christ were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the accepted day of salvation. Just contemplate on that for a moment. This is a point of transition. Christ is telling you how much he loves you, how much he worshipped you, how much he continues to worship you. He didn't just idly come down from heaven, allow himself to be nailed to the cross, and arise three days later to sit at the right hand of God. There had to be a conscious decision, and there was. There was a purpose for his death and resurrection. That purpose is you. We call that love. We call that grace. We call that so many things. But we should also call it worship. Because he went to the cross for you. Because he worships you. You are significant to him. You mean something to him. You are important to him. And now that you know him, you need to be doing the same. Life can no longer be you in a compartment for him that you open from time to time when it's convenient or when you need him or when you think you might want him. But it's rather you and him, father and child, permanently linked together, intertwined for eternity because of that worship. And there are so many other words that we could put in there that go with that. But it's worship. Don't mistake it. Think of all the times that Jesus Christ went before the Lord. He did those things the majority of the time by himself. He did them constantly. It seemed like every page in the Bible speaks of Jesus going to the Lord for guidance, for assurance, for strength for direction, for all those things. That shows a worship, a worship of the Son to the Father. And likewise, it goes the other way. Think about what God did. He gave up his Son, knowing full well what was going to happen, that his Son was going to go through all of those difficulties, all of that violence, and ultimately death. And also that he would be separated from his son for a time. That was part of the price as well. But that also was part of the worship. I can't speak for all of you. I know that I don't want to go to the cross. But I think it would be far worse if I had to send my son and watch him die while I stood idly by I'm not sure that that would be bearable. It probably would be far easier if I went. 
And I realize those are words because I'm not going to do that. But God did that. They weren't just words. They were actions. And they are actions because they continue to reverberate in everything that we do, day in and day out. What I'm trying to say here is that, you know, we use the, we use the phrase that he loved us first. Well, he worshipped you first as well. Put that word in there. It's through his grace because he worships you. We can't even begin to get to the depths of the word worship. Of what he sacrificed for you. Wherever you put yourself on the peg. And we talked this morning in the breaking of bread service. David was talking about the highest of the high mountain. Right down to the very lowest spot in the Dead Sea. Wherever you think you are on that ladder, wherever you think you are in that walk in life, Christ lowered His Son below that level for you so that He could raise you up above that level for you and for Him because He worships you. Life will no longer be you and a compartment for Him that you open from time to time. I want to reiterate that because this is a transition period here. We're starting into the second third of the series where we're not just going to talk about things. We're going to do things because what we've talked about is important to us. All the things that we did this morning, the singing, those were things that came out here. And God is very happy about that, I'm sure. But God is more happier about what went on in here. The fact that you surrendered yourself if for even a moment, acknowledging who He is and what He has done for you. You made a conscious decision that there is a God who worships you so much, is so desirous of having you in a personal relationship with Him that He sent His only Son to cover your sins so that you might be able to approach Him, cohabitate with Him, You've decided that he will be first in your life. You want to worship him. How do you do that? We talked a little bit this morning about the word worship, and Phil alluded to uh, some of the different connotations that it had in the Hebrew language. And in the Greek language, there are connotations as well. The English word worship, which is used in our Bible, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, has four different Hebrew words behind it. But there is one primary word in Hebrew that is used 172 times. It is the word sedek. And I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, but that's what I see. It basically means to bow down. In the New Testament, the Greek word for worship has eight different versions. Eight different versions. And again, there's one primary word. And I can't even pronounce that word. But it talks about to kiss toward, to go forward and kiss. And the way it's used is interesting because it's very much in the connotation of a courtroom or coming before the king. A dignitary or a king you come before, you're invited to come near him. Many of us have seen the Robin Hood movies and that type of thing 
where you go down on one knee and you kiss his ring, or you kiss the scepter, or you kiss the feet of the king, or the dignitary, or the judge, the magistrate, whoever it might be. That's what the word means in the Bible. That's what the Greeks meant when they said worship. That's what the Hebrews meant when they said worship. To kiss toward, to bow down. Other words that we use to express worship are honor, to revere, to love, to adore, respect, admire, to be holy, to pay homage to, to be devoted to, to serve, to praise, to surrender. All of these are concepts that are irrevocably intertwined with your beliefs and your practices of worship. If you're going to worship God, you'll be making the statement that God, you, and you alone are worthy. Reflect upon the list of beliefs from the past ten weeks. Just for a start, He alone is worthy to be praised. Is that not what we sing? Is that not what we have been taught? Is that not what we have learned over the past ten sessions? He has given you the gift of salvation. It is a gift that brings with it the unmeasurable expanse of His grace. That's also the unmeasurable expanse of His worship for you. But He doesn't want it to stop with you. He wants it to be extended to all people. Because all people are his children. We're his children. And he wants them to be his children. Though man foolishly turned from such gifts that he once possessed. Think about that. Way back in the Garden of Eden, he had all those things. And he turned away. God still pursued him. He extended a gift that none could possibly match. He freely and without limit extended to you the grace in the form of His Son, salvation through His sacrifice, so that you could partake in the glories of His kingdom as His children. He has said to you that He worships you and wishes none to perish, not even you. And this is where I bring my brother Joe into the message a little bit. If you've ever heard Joe pray, Reflect on this. Joe prays to the Lord by beginning to say that he praises God for who he is and what he has done for us. That has been part of Joe's prayer in prayer time, in private prayer, in opening prayers for as long as I've known Joe. Never thought about it. Just words. That's all he meant to me. They really didn't mean much because it was Joe's prayer. And I never gave it a lot of thought. But think about that because that's exactly what we're asking you to do right now. Who he is and what he has done for us. Just who is God? Is God worthy of your praise? I apologize to you, Joe, for not giving more consideration to that phrase. And I apologize even more to the Lord because I have not thought of the depth of the extent of what that meant. I've taken that for granted. 
And it's oh so wrong. He has given to us the gift of salvation, a gift which brings the immeasurable wealth of His grace. And I've said that before, I know. You know, we heard from our brother Mark last week. Worship is our response to God in the same way that it's God's response to you. And we react to it in many ways. It occurs in many ways. But I believe it's God's wish that it would occur constantly, without ceasing, in the same way that prayer does. That's the way it should be. That's the way it was, and that's the way it is with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. With the one exception that I'm aware of where God separated himself from his son for a time being as he hung on the cross. I'm not sure that the son was ever away from the father. That the son ever wanted to be away from the father. Because he worshipped his father in the same way that we worship our father. Only more so. We can't even measure that way. We heard from our brother Mark last week who spoke of how in spite of himself, I think I could put it that way, the Lord pursued him and brought him back into the fold. Mark was doing all the things that he thought was right. He was saying all the right words. He was singing hymns just like we sing every Sunday morning. I'm sure he would have said he was a good Christian. But he wasn't worshipping the Lord the way the Lord wanted him to worship. He talked about going down to southern United States and how it was at that time in his life after thinking that he knew the Lord that the Lord got his attention. But there was one thing that Mark said that really, really struck me. A word that we use once in a while but I don't think we use it in the context that Mark used it, and maybe we should be using it that way more often. You know, Mark placed a value on some things above other things. But at that particular time, at that particular place, Mark put God first. He surrendered all for God. And that's the word that really struck me. He surrendered all for God. Hasn't God done that for you? What more could he give you? What more could he do for you that he hasn't already done? To me, he surrendered all. If you place a value on something above all else and worship it, as it rightfully deserves to be in that place above all else. Is the cost important? It wasn't to God. And it shouldn't be to us. Are you prepared to worship God in that way? For who He is and what He has done for you? Mark said that until God got His attention at that point in time, until He surrendered Himself 
to the Lord. He was not in that place. He was not prepared to worship God in the way God wanted us to to worship him. You know what Mark gave up? Mark gave up worrying about this world. Mark gave up worrying about getting on the soapbox and saying, look at me, I'm a good Christian. Look at me, I know all the verses in the Bible. Let me spout some for you. Let me sing those songs louder than you. Let me participate in all of the mission trips and do all the things that people expect me to do because I'm a good Christian. But in the meantime, he had not surrendered himself to the Lord. He had surrendered his body, which is going to be left behind someday anyway. But he never surrendered his soul, which the Lord is going to take up, is going to look after until that point in time. Mark challenged us to surrender ourselves, and Jesus tells us to do the same. Jesus tells us in one of his many excerpts from the Bible that he said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Is the Lord not worthy? That's what Jesus is saying. Give up what you have to grasp something that is greater. Will you worship the Lord your God by surrendering to him as he has done for you? Let's close in a word of prayer. And that, by the way, is a form of worship. Lord, we have just taken a very cursory look at the concept of worship knowing full well, Lord, that there is much more to it than what we've examined this day. But Lord, like all things, you set the example. You set the standard. You were there before us, worshipping us. You show us how to worship. You show us what it means to know you, to love you, to worship you. You show us what it means to love others and why we should do that as a form of worship. You show us why we are important to you and why we should be important to one another as well through your worship of us. Lord, we know that there is very little we can do to further our place in front of you. So Lord, I just pray at this moment, that each and every person here would surrender himself to you in a way that he has never done that before. That he would lower himself, Lord, to the ground and acknowledge who you are and that you and you alone are worthy of our praise. Lord, as we continue on with this series, help us to make this the basis and foundation of all that we are about to learn. Lord, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your Son, for his example. We thank you also for the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, Lord, that leads us and directs our ways. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.